This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast, Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk-taking foundation people in the country. Funders who make catalytic impact talk about understanding the ecosystem of their issue or community. They want to find out what grantees need to perform well and to be strong and sustainable. Understanding the bigger picture helps catalytic funders see how they can leverage their grants, convening power, and voice to change the system itself in ways that benefit nonprofits and the communities they serve. Doug Bauer, executive director of the Clark Foundation, is a master of this work of building knowledge and relationships over time. The Clark Foundation works in New York City and in Cooperstown, a rural community in upstate New York. In this podcast, Doug talks about the different levels of learning and scanning he does. Learning from individual organizations and from state associations empowers Doug to paint a picture of the landscape of human services in New York State and how large amounts of public and private money get allocated. Doug knows that learning this big picture does something else that is powerful. Listening connects him to people and organizations in ways that make Doug and his foundation active players and participants in the system. By being constantly in touch and trading information with diverse organizations, Doug builds relationships. Being an active participant in the policy landscape is essential for foundations and nonprofits, Doug says, because the government is the largest funder of nonprofit organizations, relying on nonprofits to deliver many essential services. Doug reflects that being an active part of the nonprofit ecosystem is a necessary role for small and large foundations to make sure that all this money is spent in ways that are accountable to people in the community. Here's Doug. I think it's really important that in in a job of of a grant maker that you know you have a you know a pretty high level of curiosity um, that you know you're not afraid to pick up rocks and look underneath them um, and I mean that in in the sense of trying to understand in particular the context in which you are doing your work right so you know I, I'm constantly trying to absorb information from different sources about what's going on in the city of New York. And uh, as you know, we also do a lot of work in upstate New York and in and around Otsego County and, and Cooperstown, New York, which is the county seat of Otsego County. Um, so, you know, 
my it's you know my radar is constantly on um trying to understand both you know big issues small issues the nuances um and let me give you an example of that you know i mentioned earlier that that you know one of the three needs that became quite plain uh in the pandemic was this issue of access to technology access to internet access to broadband um that was a profound issue in in certainly in new york city especially in the outer boroughs it's also profound uh, in 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 rural communities um and and so you know as you try to understand what it would take to provide internet access in a rural county like Otsego County in central New York state, you know, you talk with a lot of people and, you know, you start to find out information. Um, you know, we talked to the, the local um, electric cooperative that is essentially the one that is trying to provide uh, internet access in, in Otsego County. And he will tell you, the, the CEO of that cooperative, that it's $42,000 a mile to, to, to wire, to, to bring the cable, the fiber optic cable, et cetera, that you need to, to install. Um, it, 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 from, from one pole to another, um, it's $42,000 a mile. Um, and then once you get to a rural household along that road in, in, in Otsego County to install from, from the road to the house is at a minimum $500, all right? So you start to understand kind of the implication of cost. Um, and then you start to understand, um, you know, why, for example, the Biden administration is, is putting in, I think the last figure I saw was $100 billion for broadband access. Why? Because especially in a rural context, but also in an urban context, it's expensive. <laughs> so, so, you know, when, and, and, and yet we know with the work we do in, in Otsego County that that access to broadband is a huge issue, not only for businesses, excuse me, but also for, you know, school children. Um, I mean, we have a scholarship program in, in Otsego County. Um, the students that were, were uh, utilizing our online scholarship application, in many cases would, you know, take the family car, park it in the parking lot of their school so they could access the Wi-Fi <laughs> to, to submit the, uh, the application because, uh, you know, their house was in a rural setting which did not have access to to wi-fi or broadband so yeah so so you so that's why it's important i think to you know it's just one example of trying to really absorb and understand what you're doing and of course the other thing to do is is and that's why we do spend a lot of time with our grantees and we really try to have it be it's not it's not a you know, it's not 40 questions that we have to get through. I mean, we have a set of issues and, and, and questions, certainly, but but we really hope that 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 converse that that two hour time frame um, is a conversation and, and an opportunity for for our grantee partners to to reflect on what they've learned. And, and you know, Andy, part of it is the average length of current the average length of our current grantee partner relationship at Clark Foundation is 17 years. So, you know, we've we've been around for a while with most of our grantees. Um, I'm hoping and I believe that that has that has somewhat minimized the grantee grantor dynamic that can exist. Um, they know we're not going to cut and run, um, that we're going to hang in there with them. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I hope that there's a little bit more honesty 
perhaps that, than, than some other conversations that they might have with other funders, simply because we know them pretty well. Um, and they're, they're not afraid to, to talk about the things that didn't work. Uh, and that's important to understand. So, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, trying to get as much contextual information as you can, try and understand as best you can from the grantee partner themselves about what they've learned, what their clients are experiencing. Um, it's been the one thing that's been, I think, unfortunate is that, you know, we've not been able to, like we've had prior to the pandemic, and I hope after the pandemic, you know, a chance to, when it's appropriate, to, to talk with with clients. Um, that's always been an important component of our work, um, but very hard to do in, in the pandemic in a, in a, in a virtual setting. Um, so it's just, it's trying to really just get as much information as you can and then synthesize what you think is important um, as it relates to how your, your nonprofit partners, your grantee partners can succeed or not succeed in what they do. I would go back to this notion of, of curiosity and education. Um, you know, I, I think Andy, and you you know this from, from your experience in the field, this is a tremendously open and welcoming field. Um, you know, foundations don't necessarily compete with each other, right? We're not competing with products, et cetera. So I've always found, you know, my colleagues in other foundations to be open to, to engagement and conversation. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and I think I, I, you know, I, at least in the context of, of New York city and also the work we do in upstate New York, um, you know, we've got great relationships with our, with our colleagues and some of them are with, you know, the big foundations like Ford and some of them are with, you know, foundations that have, you know, a set, Seven figure or eight figure endowments. Um, they all have an essential role to play, uh, in, in, in part because, you know, many foundations, as you know, have different things that they like to focus on. And I know that Foundation A, while maybe small, um, has a real focus on the college access success persistence question in the city of New York. They're very thoughtful about it, they're very focused on it. Um, they know more than I do, um, and we know some things too. So, you know, we always have a good dialogue about what do they see? What do we see? Um, and so, so I would, you know, A, encourage, uh, you know, a foundation with, with, with smaller resources or a, a limited number of staff people to, to engage their, their, their colleagues. Um, I've never, you know, you, Andy, you and I could cite several examples of where small foundations, um, you know, uh, seven figure, eight figure and endowment uh, have made a tremendous difference in, 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 in a community's uh, existence. Um, and and uh, I, I see that time and time again um, here in New York City as well as in upstate uh, New York. Um, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't be afraid of engagement um, and, and, you know, roll your sleeves up. Uh, I find, you know, I, I could think of another smaller foundation here in, in New York City, totally focused on community-based organizations and and building their advocacy voice they're just going to fund organizations that that we're simply not going to have the capacity to 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 work with um, but I want to know about them and at some point hopefully we may might be able to engage them uh, and bring them into our portfolio so I really see them as 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 you know key partners in you know again what are you hearing? <laughs> 
here's what we're hearing. What's the composite picture that's developed as a result of all of those different perspectives, um, I think is really important. So, you know, and that's why organizations like Exponent are hugely important. They, they, are facilitators and brokers uh, um, and and instigators of of conversations um, amongst you know peers that that can very much help shape dialogue about what goes on at the community level, whether it's a city like New York or a, you know a, a village like Cooperstown. So I think you know to be engaged in those those regional associations um, is really important. Um, I, I feel like Philanthropy New York here in the city did a really good job during the. They've always done a good job, but did a, an especially good job in the pandemic of trying to make sure that everybody was informed about what the various members um, were were doing. So I think those are th that's essential um, and fairly low cost uh, to, to to be a part of that. Number one, number two, and I think you know it's it's you know I, I mentioned the Human Services Council of New York a, a moment ago. These groups I think are really really these umbrella slash membership organizations that work in the different parts of the nonprofit sector are really, really important. Um, much like the Regional Association of Grantmakers or Exponent Philanthropy in helping foundations and their staffs and their boards do a better job of grant making, um, so too these um, umbrella organizations try and help their, their, um, their organizations do a better job of delivering services and, and bringing additional voice to advocacy um, and to provide deeper access to, to capacity building. Um, they don't get nearly enough support because, uh, you know, it's not really sexy, but, but a, you know, hugely important. And, and, you know, even grants from 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 members of exponent would make a huge difference to a group like human services council or united neighborhood houses um another example here in new york city so i would i would encourage um smaller foundations to certainly be involved with with the likes of an exponent and a regional association but also and especially if you're a smaller foundation that focuses in a particular field the arts the environment human services education whatever it might be there is usually an umbrella organization that that's um helping that particular component of the nonprofit sector be more effective at what it does and if it does exist by all means take a look at it and 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 be engaged with it and support it if you can and so in a way, and, and, and I think I also hope, you know, we're going to see government be more of an active partner with philanthropy about how we're going to tackle various issues. I mean, look, you know, as well as I do, various aspects of the nonprofit sector, which either in an urban or rural context are, you know, essential to making communities work um, and not only survive but thrive um there are sectors of the nonprofit. there's components of the nonprofit sector that are really i mean the arts have been really hurt uh human services has really been hurt uh education k through 12 uh certainly has has had a whole set of issues so there's a lot of things that have to be sorted out um there's a lot of things that 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 need to be revived replenished um re-energized whatever whatever set of words you want to use um, and it will take resources. Um, my expectation and hope is that there will be a stream of funding um, coming from the feds that, that will be really important 
to communities across the country. You know, how will those dollars be, you know, utilized um, and and fed back into the communities? Um, that will be a dialogue between local government, state government, um, and and the nonprofit sector and other stakeholders. And this brings it back, Andy, to advocacy. That will be hugely important. Um, here in New York City, for example, um, we're uh, in the process of having, uh, you know, we'll have a new mayor for the first time in eight years on January 1. Um, city Council will almost completely turn over. Um, we'll have brand new presidents in each of the five boroughs. We'll have new district attorneys. There's almost a complete turnover of local government leadership in the city of New York. And as you can imagine, the level of understanding and education among the candidates that are running for all those jobs about what actually happens to manage things like the social safety net or sustain the cultural um, community in the city of New York um, varies. So, so there's going to be a lot of education. There'll be a lot of advocacy about what it will take to, to really re-energize the various components of the community that are managed by the nonprofit sector, whether it's the social safety net, K through 12 education, um, the parks, which are for the most part, Central Park, Prospect Park, some of the larger parks in the city of New York are managed by nonprofit organizations, um, the arts community. So, so I see that advocacy will will you know be hugely important. Uh, and I'll just give you an example of something we've been involved with: the Human Services Council here in New York City, which is an umbrella group of about a hundred and almost two hundred organizations that that are really the managers of the social safety net in the city of New York, are about to release uh, a recovery report. Uh, they they had a COVID nineteen task force uh, and uh, they did a really good and I think thorough quantitative and qualitative um, review of what happened, which then suggest, which then um, translated into a set of recommendations for the next mayor, the next city council um, that will be released shortly. Um, Advocates for Children, which is the leading advocacy group around K through 12 education issues in the city of New York, has also released a blueprint with seven recommendations for the next mayor and the next chancellor of, of public schools, whoever that may be. Um, so, you know, we're seeing these documents, um, uh, which are really, you know, uh, things that need to be articulated about how we um, come out of the pandemic and make, make these, these various components of the sector better, stronger, and, and back to where they need to be. Thanks to Doug for joining us. To learn more about Doug Bauer and the work of the Clark Foundation, visit the Catalytic Podcast website. Look for new Catalytic Podcasts each month. Meet more creative funders. Benji Ru does the audio engineering and mixing. Our website is by Kwok Lee. Our music is by O Future. The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two Exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.